0: talk for a minute about resistance. Uh, And sometimes resistance is effective. It works. And sometimes resistance isn't very effective. And so um, I'm going to give you a few categories, and then if you'd like to shout out one to add to this. But sometimes our resistance can slow or stop things. Our resistance does something. And so sometimes, I'll give you an example, uh, our exercising is effective in resisting the decay of our bodies. Now, it helps, right? It doesn't totally solve this. But when we exercise, we can resist decay, and it really helps. It makes a difference, right? Sometimes, our resistance actually doesn't do much, right? And so I was talking to some people about the weather. I kind of like it to stay spring all year long. Um, But, you know, it turns out resisting the change in seasons doesn't get you very far, (laughs) Right? It's going to do what it's going to do. We could resist, but it won't help. But there are times when resistance is actually a disaster. And so, try resisting a tornado. Right? Not a good idea. To go out, and say stop, no more. Right? And this is going to be a disaster. Right? So I've got these three categories. Sometimes resistance actually does something. Sometimes it doesn't do anything. And sometimes it's actually a disaster. Another example of a way that resistance might actually be effective in slowing or stopping something. You can chat online or unmute or shout out in the room. How might resistance be effective? Brakes on a vehicle. Brakes on a vehicle. Yes. That's resistance. It slows us down and it works. Yeah, we hope it does. Um, it's good when it does. Resisting gossip. Sure. So we can be resist when people are gossiping, uh to to be a positive influence, and it really can make a difference. Good? Anything else? Yeah? Not listening to bad advice. Sure. Resisting bad advice. Yeah, that's good. A good way to resist its influence. And it stops it. How about, we could resist, but it's not changing anything. Any thoughts? Other than the private chuckles that I hear going on. We <laughs> could try to resist the ice cream, but I not know. That's right. We can resist some things, and it seems that it still finds its way into our bowl. Um, yeah, there are thoughts of uh, paying taxes, right? We can resist things like paying taxes, but it's still going to come, right? Yeah. Sometimes we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so we we do need help because our resistance isn't isn't effective. That's good. Homework. (laughs) Resist that homework, but it doesn't go away. Uh, Yeah. The march of time. The march of time. That's right. We can resist the march of time, but it's going. It's going to happen. It's good. How about the times when resisting actually is going to be disaster? This is a bad idea. It's going to make it far worse. Taking medicine or getting treatment. Sure that's right, resisting the medical care that's, that's designed and is going to be effective, and we re- resist it and it's a disaster an unwinnable, an unwinnable war sure, an unwinnable war sometimes we, we enter into things and the resistance is just going to make it worse yeah learning from discipline say it again learning from discipline ah yeah, learning from discipline when we resist that learning right? we, we pay a high price yeah school <laughs> yeah sometimes resisting important things really does lead to a disaster resisting good advice sure resisting good advice yeah again something that's meant for good and we say no I'm going to push this away and it's a disaster a statement that's fascinating to me in, uh, in the book of Acts is about resisting God when people intended to try to stop the work of God in the church and the statement was made by the priest, talking about the early church, and he says about this work, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So these people were resisting something God was doing, and to resist it, it's not you're not going to be effective, but then you're going to find yourself fighting against God, and that's a bad place to be. And I want to just pray, to pray for us that God would help us to see and to join his work rather than to resist it. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the Bible that you've given us to teach us your ways and to teach us the work that you were doing. And Father, I pray today that you would help us to see your work and not to resist it, but to join in that work. Father, I ask that you would do your work today, not just in our heads and our understanding of things, but in our hearts. That leads to conviction, and as as Joel shared earlier, that would, would lead to action. So we ask that you would do this work in the whole of us today, for your glory and for the joy that we have in joining in your work. In Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. The title today is... Seeking to Save. We're continuing our journey in Luke, uh, Luke 18, and encourage you to have that in front of you. Um, uh, However format, we're going to go between a little bit of Luke 18 and Luke 19. As I'll show you, clearly these stories were meant to go together, Uh, even though the chapter division comes in the middle. and We'll talk more about this drawing in a little bit. Let me just say a word about the context in Luke. Uh, Not long ago, we looked at this question the disciples asked. Who can be saved? And when people answered that question in Jesus' day, they thought most certainly the rich and righteous people can be saved. People who are really good people. And that goodness has resulted in their wealth. They looked at wealth in a good person as an indication that God's blessing them. So they say those are people who can really be saved. And Jesus says, well, actually, rich people are the hardest ones to save. <laughs> he gave the illustration of taking the biggest animal they had, a camel, to put it through the smallest hole they had, through the eye of the needle. And he said, that's what it's like to try to save rich people. Jesus said, in fact, nobody can save themselves. And you know my two favorite words in English, but God. But God can save anyone. So this is what Jesus taught. Who can be saved? Well, it's really, really hard. In fact, impossible. Except God can do it. God can save anyone. And so I think today it turns to the next question is, well, so if God can save people, whom do you want saved? Right? If God can do it with anybody, who are the people that we would like to see it happen with? And uh, Jesus gave these uh, powerful words back in Luke 4 when he started his, his, uh, his years of ministry. He read from the prophet, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, Here are the people that my work is intended for, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. Sometimes those categories are obvious to us, and sometimes, like today, we might be a little bit surprised. So Luke 18, we'll start at verse 35. Two stories that are clearly parallel with each other. So Luke 18:35, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Stop there. I just want to highlight a couple of things so far. The people going by, well, first of all, this man is begging. It's all he can do. He is there begging and he hears more commotion than usual. There, there's more noise, there's more activity than usual. He says, what's different today? And they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Very simple description, kind of like of Nazareth is his last name. Right? Which Jesus are we talking about? Well, the one from Nazareth. It's just an ordinary name in an ordinary place. But when this man hears that ordinary name, he says, ah, that's the son of David. That is the Messiah. They give a simple description, but he says, I know who that is. And he cries out, have mercy on me. And sadly, the people leading the way rebuked him and said, hey, hey, no, 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 you've got to be quiet. But he wouldn't be quiet. So we continue on. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. An amazing story. Jesus says, what do you want? He says, I want to see. And in one word, Jesus says, see again. And Jesus says, you've got faith. And your faith is instrumental to this healing your faith has healed you. And actually, the word for healed you, um, in, in Greek, you can see this by looking at multiple translations. Uh, it's, these are the same words as saved you. And so some English translations say healed you, and some translations say saved you. And actually think saved you is pretty good, because what does the man do? Well, he followed Jesus. He became a disciple. His life was changed. It wasn't just, oh, I can stop begging and now I can get a job and serve myself, take care of myself. When he could see again, he followed Jesus. A simple story about a blind beggar that the crowd resisted him. The crowd said, quiet, no, 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 you're not supposed to bother Jesus. Yet Jesus saves him and then everybody rejoices. Let me just say a word about Jericho. Jericho is kind of the last city before you head up to Jerusalem. And it's actually a pretty good place to beg near the times of festivals. Because all these people are going to go to Jerusalem and ask God for mercy. (laughs) And might be going through their mind, uh, we probably should have given more to people in need. And so in Jericho is a good place to say your last chance. You can give now before you go to the temple. And, and it was real that people felt an obligation to do that. The next story is about a tax collector. Turns out Jericho is also a good place to be a tax collector. Because this is a place where lots of trade happens and goes through Jericho. So a great place to try to get people to pay taxes. One of the key things in the story is that this blind man had spiritual sight. Though he was blind, clearly he was hoping for the son of David. He was hoping for the Messiah. And he recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He said, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, I've known about him. And, and he, had, he had insight. He knew what was coming. And so then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, so you're Jesus, you walk down the road, and there's a blind person who says, have mercy on me. Doesn't Jesus know already? (laughs) I think Jesus wanted the crowd to know the man's faith. He wanted the crowd to hear that the man believed Jesus could give him sight again. The man believed Jesus to be the promised one, the Messiah, who could bring sight. But notice this tragic thing. The crowd was an obstacle. At least the leaders of the crowd, they said, No, you be quiet. You shouldn't be bothering Jesus. And yet the man kept at it. He shouted all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. He must have shouted really loud because we already know it was a loud crowd, a lot of commotion. And then people were shouting at him, be quiet. And from a distance, Jesus heard him. And the wonderful thing is, Jesus commanded, (laughs) He commanded, bring him here. Suggests that people said, no, 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 that's just, there's somebody on the side of the road, Jesus, let's keep walking. And Jesus said, no, you bring him here. Jesus refused to give in to the people's objections. So then the man is healed. And when he's healed, in this case, people love it. People rejoiced in this healing. Salvation came to a poor blind man. And the people were okay with that. It turns out the people weren't happy with all healing, with all rescue. So now we're to chapter 19. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Just a couple of quick thoughts here. This man wanted to see who Jesus was. Like the blind man says, Jesus is somebody I want to meet. Jesus is somebody I want to see. And yet the crowd was again a problem. The crowd made it hard. That's what Luke wants us to know. Realize the crowd is making it hard for him To encounter Jesus. So he runs and climbs a tree, hoping to get a chance. And Jesus came. And Jesus said, I have to come to your house today, which brought joy for Zacchaeus, but not for the people. So we continue. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Notice the reaction of the crowd. When Jesus stops to pay attention to Zacchaeus, they mutter. right? They're upset. They grumble about this. And who? Luke tells us, the whole crowd, all the people, disciples, people who just happen to be going along, Pharisees. He says all the people were not happy with this. Right? previous time, all the people were happy. Now Zacchaeus changes. Zacchaeus says, boy, half of my possessions, not income, but half of my wealth, I'm going to give it to the poor. Probably not much of his wealth came from poor people. Probably most of his wealth came by taxing the wealthier people. But he said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And then for the people that I did cheat, I'm going to give a lot back. Four times the amount back. He really changed. And Jesus looked at this and said, today salvation. The same word that was used to the blind man, your faith has saved you, your faith has healed you. Today salvation has come to this house. And then Jesus gives the statement that says, here's what I'm all about, my purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in this story, instead of a blind beggar, now we have a tax collector. Again, there's resistance, there's trouble with the crowd. Jesus saves anyway, except this time all the people grumble. All the people say, this is a bad idea, Jesus. You don't know what kind of person this is. But Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. And I think this must, it's a small word that people look at a lot because Luke uses it repeatedly. I've got to do something. I think it expresses the father's will and the son's purpose. Jesus says, going to his house is exactly what my life is about. I think he said, I must stay at your house today because people were resisting this. Saying, no, 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 Jesus, bad idea. Maybe you don't realize what kind of person this, this Zacchaeus is, how he's hurt so many people. I think their objections made it all the more important that Jesus went to Zacchaeus's house because they saw Zacchaeus so differently. You see, this is the normal thinking of that day, is that when you touch someone who's unclean, it makes me unclean, right? If I, if I go to somebody who's not ritually accepted in the temple, it makes me the same way. So if Jesus goes to be a guest at the house of a place like Zacchaeus, this is bad news. This this will affect his reputation. This will affect his ability to go to the temple. This is a bad thing. But the right thinking that Jesus shows is when Jesus touches the unclean, he brings healing. He says, I'm coming to this house to heal. And it is an amazing thing that Jesus rescued Zacchaeus from his money. And he didn't have a problem with blindness. But in a way, he was blind. And I want you to see, you really think it's the case, that what he did with his money is a result of Jesus being in his life. It's a result of being saved. It was not a means to get there. Zacchaeus didn't say, hey, Jesus, I know I'm in a bad spot with how I get my money, but I've been really trying to do better. I've been trying to be more generous and not take from people. He said, no, I need to change. I'm going to change how I deal with my money. And Jesus says, see, salvation has come. See, I think salvation is a combination of forgiveness and transformation. It's not either or. It's both. And we see that in Zacchaeus. And here's the thing that I love. Go back to to Luke 4 when Jesus says, I came to bring good news to the poor. What's a key way that Jesus brought good news to the poor? By transforming people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a lot of money. (laughs) He says, I'm going to bring good news to the poor, so I'm going to rescue somebody like Zacchaeus from his money, so that now he is a means of bringing goodness to those who are poor. So when we look at these two stories, a few things stand out. In both of these stories, someone whom society judged tried to reach Jesus. They judged a blind beggar, and they judged a rich tax collector. For both of them, people got in the way. The crowds were resistant to them coming. In both of them, they kept seeking. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to climb a tree if I have to. I'm going to run ahead. I'm going to do what it takes. And the blind man just cried out all the more. And then a beautiful thing in both cases, Jesus sought them. Jesus said, bring that blind man here. I command it. And he called Zacchaeus by name. In both cases, the person was transformed. From being blind to seeing and being a follower of Jesus, from being enslaved to his money to being generous with his money to give praise to Jesus. But there's an important difference. When Jesus healed or saved the blind man, we're told all the people praise God. When Jesus honored Zacchaeus by saying, I'm going to your house, all the people grumbled. And Zacchaeus was saved and transformed. When I look at these stories, we see Jesus says it so clearly. Jesus' purpose is to seek and to save all who need saving. Right? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And of course, this means everyone. But not everyone believed that. Right? The, the sad thing is that the crowd was an obstacle to Jesus' purposes in both stories. In both of these stories, we're told the crowd got in the way. We're also told that everyone was unhappy with Jesus' purpose in the second story. To go to Zacchaeus, to be a guest in his house, this is a bad idea. And perhaps people didn't mind so much when a blind beggar was saved, but they found it pretty hard to deal with Jesus' kindness to a traitor, because that's what a tax collector was, an oppressor, somebody who was rich by injustice. Jesus, that's not a good idea. If you want to be kind... And heal somebody who is just having a hard time in life, and it's not their fault. That's okay. But we have a hard time when you're going to go to our oppressor and show grace. But Jesus says, "Here's my purpose: to seek and to save everyone who needs saving, everyone, and that means all of us." Okay, so here's the uh, the drawing from Karen. Uh, work needs to be done, and so we have here somebody who is pulling a wagon. Sometimes the wagon's hard to pull, and it turns out sometimes the wagon's hard to pull because sometimes there are people who directly oppose it. They say, we can stop this. We don't like where this wagon's going. We're going to stop it. Sometimes people aren't exactly pulling, but they dig their heels into the ground, right? And sometimes we drag our feet. Sometimes it's not an act of resistance. It's just we're off doing something different. Right? We'll go trim the tree. We're not going to be a part of pulling this wagon. right? Sometimes we just ignore it. And sometimes, like somebody who happens to sit on the wagon, we're just dead weight. We're making it harder to pull, but we're not doing much. Right? Sometimes we are just dead weight. So, when we think about Jesus' purpose, right? Jesus said, here's his purpose, to seek and to save those needing rescue. When Jesus is seeking to save those who need saving, sadly, sometimes Sometimes we directly oppose it, we say, not there, Jesus. No, not somebody like Zacchaeus. That's not a good idea, Jesus. Right? Sometimes we 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 drag our feet, say, well, okay, we're not going to fight directly against you, but we'll just kind of pretend we're along and we're here, but we're dragging our feet. Or sometimes we just ignore it, and we do our own thing. Or sometimes we're there, but we're we're dead weight. This is what Luke was teaching, right, Jesus. Purpose is to seek and to save all who need saving, but sadly, people, including Christians, sometimes create obstacles for others to be saved by Jesus. Sometimes we do this directly and intentionally, and we say, oh no, no, not out of here. These aren't the kind of people who ought to be finding God and his goodness. Right? No, they better fix their lives first. And we intentionally create barriers. Sometimes we drag our feet. Sometimes we're there, but it's just dead weight. We're just slowing the thing down, or sometimes we just simply ignore it. Now, why do I say this as a theme? Why is why do I think Luke is trying to say this? Because he's told us this repeatedly, right? way back in Luke 5. A man that, who was paralyzed, and his friends wanted him to be healed, but the crowd wouldn't make room for him. The crowd said, no, 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 we waited a long time for our seats here. We waited a long time. You've got to go your own way. The Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, they complained about Jesus accepting sinners. Jesus, you shouldn't do that. So then Jesus told the story about the older brother, who was angry that the father forgave the younger brother, and said, you shouldn't do that, Jesus. The disciples tried to stop people from bringing infants to be blessed by Jesus. Lucas told us repeatedly, people were getting in the way of Jesus' purpose. And in this story, we see twice the crowds were getting in the way, and once everybody was complaining because of what Jesus was doing. Jesus is clear. His purpose is to seek and to save all who need saving, which means all of us. And Jesus made clear his purpose even when people resisted. And and I'm convinced this was an important message for the early church. I'm convinced in the early church, they, they were hesitant about some people who might might be hearing this message and say i'd like to learn more about this jesus and they said i don't know you're a roman soldier and that's oppressive to us and so we're not so sure we're a group of gentiles and, and you've judged us as jewish people so long so maybe somewhere else i'm convinced it was an important message in the early church i'm convinced it's an important message in the church today so I go back to the context, right? We saw this idea, this question, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, people can't do it, but God can save anyone. So then the question, whom do you want to be saved? Well, Jesus made it very clear. He wants all those who, needing sa- who need saving to be saved, right? All of us. I think our natural tendency is to say, well, we'd mainly like people who saved to be saved who are not very lost. Right? The people whose lives aren't so problematic to me. They're not the people who are so off the edge. We'd like the people who are pretty decent people to be saved. right? Some, they're just too far out. Or maybe sometimes we say we would like people to be saved that we like. <laughs> There's some people we like, and it'd be wonderful to see them come and explore the church and, and understand the ways of Jesus. That would be really great, but there are other people... I don't know, they've been pretty mean to me, they've been oppressive, they've done things that, they better clean that up first. And sometimes, the people we want to be saved are the the people that we actually think can be saved. Because some people, it's just not going to happen. I've talked to them, we pray, we do whatever, and they're just not going to, so maybe we move on to something else. This question of whom do we want to be saved, Jesus' answer is so clear. He wants all those who need saving to be saved, whether or not people like him, whether or not people like it. And the application is so clear, it's to just join Jesus' work of rescuing those needing rescue. So i got to tell you a story, um, and I am not a hero in this story. Uh, this is a friend from high school. Um, I put friend in quotes because we did a lot of things that made us look like friends. But in reality, I was not much of a friend. Um, he was not a Christian. Um, we did a bunch of things together, and, and we got along in a lot of things. But he was also very antagonistic, and especially to my Christianity. And I still remember once, I, I can tell you right in our neighborhood where I was standing, and, and my, uh, it was a time when my grandmother was going through uh, Alzheimer's, and I remember he said terrible things to me about his hope for trouble, for her. And it was really hard. So then, we both went away to, to schools, for college, and I heard that he became a Christian. And I confess to you, I wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> right? In my heart, I realized that, and maybe this is true for you, but but he was somebody I preferred not be rescued. Right? He he said things to me that were hard. I wasn't happy about. It. And there was another part that went through me that said, "Oh, now I got to try harder to love him. I don't feel like doing that." Right? When he was not a Christian, I felt like I can keep him at a distance. But I confess in my heart. He went from being judged to being saved by God, loved by God, covered by the blood of Jesus. And in my heart, I thought, oh, this is going to be awkward. How sad, right? And, but, but I tell you, this is, this is a reality, and I look back with shame. And then I think, what are those things that, that are real, and I'm just hiding it from myself now? And so I'm convinced that sometimes with our implicit or explicit bias, we think it'd be easier if that person weren't interested in the gospel. (laughs) If that person didn't become a Christian, if I find out they're not a Christian, that'd be so much easier because then I can just hold them at arm's length. And I think that's what people were thinking about Zacchaeus. If we want to stay with Jesus, we're going to have to go to Zacchaeus' house too? I don't think so. Right? And so sometimes because of our own discomfort, we say, I'm not so sure I want that person to be saved. I'm not so sure I want them to be interested in the gospel. Sometimes these are people who have been offensive, who have committed acts of injustice. And I say in my heart, I would rather they continue to resist God because then I will feel justified for not forgiving them. I will feel more comfortable keeping them at a distance. Maybe this isn't true for you. But I confess, I can see this in my heart with shame. And yet, I'm convinced this is what Luke was teaching. What Jesus was teaching through these episodes, sometimes his grace is going to people that we would prefer not be in it. Another way that I struggle to join in Jesus' work is my own priorities. Life's filled with a lot of things. I'm just trying to keep up with life, right? Right? What does it mean to say, okay, now I'm going to be like Jesus and actually seek out people to be saved? Sometimes our fears, our fears about saying, well, if I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus, I'm afraid of what the process is going to be like. What comes next in the conversation? What are they going to say? What am I not going to be able to answer? Where is this going to go? What's the possibility that it could actually happen? And I think, I've talked to this person before. I don't think they're going to respond at all. They're not going to be interested. And I conclude for them. Or sometimes I fear the outcome that says, oh, then I probably should invite him to church. And I'm not sure I want them in the same place. Or I, I don't, maybe you don't feel this thing, but I see it in myself and it's it's awful. And I need to remember that this is why the Son of Man came. He came to seek and to save the lost to seek and to save this is what jesus came to do to go find the people who need saving including the ones that i think are too far including you and me right we're called to join this miraculous work to have faith like the blind man the blind man said jesus son of david have mercy And we're to have the faith that says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. You're the one who can bring sight to the blind. Would you do that? And I would say that probably God has put you and me where we are so that we'll be a means of his superabounding grace in people's lives. So my guess is that wherever you and I live, this is a place that God, at least for now, intends us to be, to be a means of his grace to the people who are there our family and friends my guess is that god has you and your family and i my guess is that we all have people in our family who are distant from god who are walking in faith in jesus and he's got us there because he wants us to be a means of his superbounding grace to do this work in their lives the colleagues you work with whether it's fellow students or or professors over you or students under you or colleagues or however it works My guess is God has you where you are because he wants to use you to do what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save those needing saving. But God also calls us to cross boundaries, uh, to bring the good news to other people. So sometimes it's the people we're with, sometimes we go to people that we're not currently with. And this is powerful and it's good. Uh, One thing I want to say with it is it must be done with great humility. Uh, So uh, as a church, I've Brought this book up here, cross-cultural servanthood, and put the note up there. As a church, we a bunch of us read this at the beginning, and I'm encouraging people to read it again. There's a line in here that is very challenging, uh, and, and so the author says, superiority cloaked in the desire to serve is still superiority. When I think I'm superior, but I'm here to serve you, it's still superiority. And so what does it mean to go with great humility to cross boundaries? To go to new places, to encounter people that wouldn't be a part of my everyday life and we're called to do it and that's good yet we must do it with great humility. So this wonderful core value passed last week so excited about superbounding grace in Christ and complete obedience to Christ. The superbounding grace is that Jesus seeks those who need rescuing. Even when other people say, oh maybe not them, Jesus. (laughs) Maybe not that group. Let's start with an easier group. Maybe not tax collectors. And even when we think they can't actually be rescued. Because you know, Jesus, you said rich people, this is like a camel going through an eye of a needle. That's not going to happen, is it? (laughs) And Jesus says, well, sometimes rich people aren't saved. But sometimes, it's an amazing, beautiful transformation as their relationship with their money completely changes. And so we are called to a complete obedience to Christ, which means we're to join Jesus' work, seeking those who need rescuing. Part of that is to admit when we prefer that they not be rescued. We say, God, there's a part in my heart that says, Let me get a little uh, let me get a little even with this person first before they express openness. Right? I don't want them to fully experience the grace yet. Another statement I saw this week, so helpful to me. We mistakenly assume that Jesus shares our prejudices. We mistakenly assume that Jesus is also uncomfortable about the people that make us uncomfortable in being saved. He doesn't. He longs for these people to be saved. That's what he came for. So we need to ask Jesus to change our hearts, to, to, to begin building bridges in our hearts and then in person. The wonderful thing that we see in Zacchaeus is that, that Christ's saving work includes transforming us not just rescuing our souls. So some possible action items to join this. And the the first and the main one I say is to care. Longing for people to be rescued by God. Even if we do nothing else at this point, longing for that, to say, God, would you do this? Would Would you rescue? Would you transform? And this includes longing for Jesus to save souls, To be without Christ is to be without any real hope. Do I believe that? And to ask God to do that work in my heart, that I would long for people to be rescued and longing for people to be transformed. For Zacchaeus, he was rescued from his money. What a wonderful thing in saving his life. For the blind man, in rescuing his soul, Jesus also gave him sight and it transformed his life. And a key way to grow in this longing is to pray. And to say, would you do this in my heart, God? Give me the heart of Jesus. And a key thing in this is I invite us to pray together. To say, would you build in us a heart that longs for what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save those who need rescue. And then do what God gives us to do. And one of the things about talking to other people about Jesus is many of us feel like we're very envious of people who are good at that. (laughs) If only I had the ability to do what Mung Yan does on campus. Isn't that great? She can go do that. That's wonderful. I can't do that. So I'm not sure what I can do. But I'm convinced God has made us without mistakes. And so to do what God has made us to be able to do as the Spirit works in us. So we are to love and to listen. To go to people and to hear their heart and to, to hear their struggles and to love them. And then to show and to tell. To say, here's what Jesus is like, let me tell you what he has done. And then together, and this is a beautiful thing in a congregation like ours, so many different gifts and abilities and passions and say, we could do this together. And, and some of the ideas, uh, just this, this idea of inviting people uh, and, and connected with life groups. In our life group, we're talking now saying, what could we do to create space to just invite other people into that space? To be among us, to, to enjoy a time like the pancake breakfast. The next time it comes around, say, you know what? I have somebody, I can just bring them along so that they can come and see the space. To go, to choose to say, let's, let's find people in our lives that we could tell about Jesus. And so in two weeks, we're going to have a conversation about this program called the Alpha. I've mentioned it before, and it's, it's just one tool of many to say, how can we create space? to live out what Jesus was doing, to seek and to save those who need rescue, which is all of us. He has found us. He has rescued us. Let's join that work. Now, for some of us today, this has kind of been a conversation you might have felt like about you, (laughs) that you're still coming to terms with who Jesus is and his claims. And a wonderful, beautiful thing in this story is keep seeking Jesus even if people are putting obstacles in your path, because sadly, that happens. Sadly, there are people or situations that make it harder to follow Jesus. And it is an act of faith to keep seeking. I want to say this, it's terrible. It's horrible when people put obstacles in the way for people to come to faith. And so I'm not at all saying that's okay. It's a terrible thing, and we need to help each other in learning how not to do that. Yet blaming other people for making it harder doesn't bring the wonderful rescuing work of Jesus in your life. And now here's the most beautiful thing in this story. I just love this. The blind man said, I want to see Jesus. Zacchaeus said, I'd love to see Jesus. And when we seek Jesus, we will discover that he's been seeking us all along. How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? I don't know. But Jesus said, I need to see you, Zacchaeus. I must be a part of your life. I am seeking you, right? The blind man and Zacchaeus were trying to see Jesus, but Jesus was seeking them even more. And he called Zacchaeus by name. And the reality is, when we are seeking him, Jesus is calling us by name. Right, Jesus' purpose, his life was all about this, to seek and to save all who need saving. So the question for us today is, how are we responding to Jesus' work? And this is one of those cases where opposing his work is disaster. Ignoring his work is such a great loss. Joining in his rescuing work is such great joy. And he invites us to be a part of that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have chosen to seek and to save the lost, the people like us needing rescue. For those of us who have come to know you because you sought us, Jesus, we thank you for rescuing us. We thank you for life and hope. No matter how bad things become in this world, we know, Jesus, that you have overcome the world. You have conquered sin and death. And so it is well for us because you live. And Father, I ask that you would help us together to join in this work of Jesus, to seek and to save, to to do the work you call us to announce what our Savior has done and his invitation. And Father, I do ask for those among us today who are listening, who maybe have been pushed back because people have gotten in the way. Father, I ask that you would remove the barriers and I ask that you would call them by name. We ask that you would do your saving work in the lives of those we love, those we don't yet know. Open our hearts to this work, this purpose of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, to seek and to save all who need rescue, that we could join in the joy of heaven of new life because of what Jesus has done for us. We give you praise and we ask that you would help us to join in your great work. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.